Welcome to Alabama AgCast, a weekly conversation about news and issues affecting Alabama farmers and forest landowners. Alabama AgCast is produced by the Alabama Farmers Federation. Hello and welcome to this week's Alabama AgCast. I'm your host, Mike Moody. In this week's AgCast, our own Blake Thaxton, director of the Alabama Fruit and Vegetable Growers Association, has a great conversation with Dr. Andre De Silva of Auburn University. Dr. De Silva is an assistant professor at Auburn and extension vegetable specialist. Our wrap-up today comes from Colton Christian, who brings us the latest dairy news. Uh, thank you for coming on the show, uh, Dr. De Silva. Hey, Blake. Hello. Thank you for having me here. It's a pleasure. Yeah, if you would, could you let our listeners know who you are and what brought you to Alabama and Auburn University? Uh, so, like I said, my name is Andre De Silva. Um, I'm an assistant professor and extension vegetable specialist at Auburn University and the Alabama Cooperative Extension System. Uh, I work mainly with crop management practices for vegetable crops, uh, trying to help growers on decision making. Um, I'm originally from Brazil, uh, but I moved to U.S. back in, in 2014, where I did my Ph.D. at University of Florida. Later on in 2018, I started a position as extension vegetable specialist as well, but then I was at University of Georgia. Um, but later, last early last year, I moved to Auburn, where I want to try to grow that vegetable industry in the state of Alabama, where there is a big potential to grow, and I would that's my focus on here. Awesome, yeah. Well, I think I, I could tell you you're not from around here, uh, and uh, but we are glad to have you here, and you are. Uh, um, obviously, uh, kind of testing out all the SEC football schools, it sounds like, but uh, we are glad to have you here in Alabama and at Auburn, and I know I'm excited, and I know our growers are excited to have you. One thing you didn't mention is is your family. Uh, your wife is also a faculty member at Auburn in the Department of Horticulture, is that right? Yeah, I'm married with uh, Dr. Camila Rodriguez. She's the food safety specialist there, and uh, helping me, actually, we work together on trying to produce vegetable crops or special crops in general in the state or help the growers who produce that crop all the way from field to table in a way that they our community can get like healthy food but also safety food and you all have one child i have one daughter a five-year-old uh young lady called louisa awesome awesome and i've had the pleasure of meeting both of them and i get to work with camilla dr rodriguez as well and it's it's a pleasure uh knowing your entire family and we're just blessed to have you here in our state uh let's just start with a, a easy question um what is your favorite crop to grow and why oh i was already expecting that <laughs> from you blake <laughs> So my favorite qu- crop to grow, I would say, is cabbage. Cabbage, all right. Cabbage, it's a cool crop. It's a tough crop that can hold like low temperatures. Uh, most of north of the state can have low temperatures below freezing. Uh, of course, we don't want that for a cabbage crop, but uh, cabbage, in my opinion, is one of the most tough crop to hold with irrigation, fertility, and crop management practice in general. Um, plus, it's delicious to eat. <laughs> so you like the challenge. Yeah, I like the challenge. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Well, we have plenty of challenges in Alabama, and you know that. So, <laughs> so that's good. We're glad we have you here to help solve some of those challenges. So uh, this is obviously a you know an exciting time um, for Alabama produce growers in the state. We have 
you know, a lot of different things that we have to look forward to. Our our neighboring states have uh, have really pushed the industry forward, and and we may be, uh, I guess you could say, a little bit behind, but we have a lot of opportunity to move forward. Tell me about some of the exciting things you've seen across the state about where the vegetable industry is going, and and just give us kind of an outlook of um, the the where the industry is at right now. Yeah, so. When I moved to Alabama, um, I drove a lot around the the state trying to visit growers, understand their challenge. And one thing that made me feel happy is that before I come here, actually, I I heard a lot like when you cross the river, you are one hour before, one hour and 20 years later. And that's not true. Like, we have a lot of potential. Yes, we have, like, Florida, we have Georgia that are big vegetable grower states. But I would say that our growers are doing good. I think that our biggest challenge is inputs. We need to learn more about how to use our inputs and increase uh, so we can increase our production per per area. I think that uh, doing the right thing in the right time is key for our growers. They know what they are doing. We just need to fine-tune when to do it. That's right. So this way we can increase our productivity and we can, like, increase their revenue as well. Sure. And, and, you know, I think we have a lot of new growers in this state. And my previous life selling seed to to a lot of these folks, that's a big thing I always hit on is is make sure you plant at the right time. Because there's we can grow a lot of crops in this state, but there's specific time windows that, that they can work. And if you try to do it out of that time slot, you're gonna have a lot of trouble. Oh yeah, it's and it's that's exactly one of the things. Like you need to find when to plant, so when to harvest as well. This way, you don't match harvesting time of those other larger vegetable states like Florida. You don't want to harvest your tomatoes at the same time as Florida. Otherwise, the price of your produce is gonna be is gonna go down. That's right. Also, but also fertilizer application or even irrigation. Remember uh, early July this year. We had that heat stress come here, and suddenly a lot of water coming in August. So if the growers were properly managed their water before the the rains on August come, they would they will have like an excellent crop during the summer. And that's what we need to educate the growers. We can fine tune, we can use technology to properly manage irrigation, similar for fertilization. This way, we're gonna be like precise on time and precise on um, and increase our productivity for sure. Sure. I think that's probably a good place to pivot to my next question. Just talking about your research at Auburn. Um, I've visited with you and your, your entire team. Uh, what do you guys call yourself? Your, your team? Uh, at- it's the extension vegetable team. The- uh, sorry, extension vegetable crop team. The extension vegetable crop team. And I've seen some of y'all stuff on social media and things like that. And you have a large team. How many graduate students do you have? So currently we are a team of 12 okay. in which we have eight grad students, uh, two postdocs and two research associated. Yeah. So you have a lot of students, a lot of projects to go along with those students. Um, so tell me about what really gets you excited about that current research. What are some of the projects that are, are kind of getting you going in the morning right now? Yeah, like, so we we are a big team, and uh, basically what we have in our um, in our research and extension pro, uh, program is a three-front on vegetables where we work closely with extension agents. 
the first one is focus more on variety selection. I think that that's the top notch that we want to promote and help the growers where we are doing a variety evaluation all across the state, try to identify what is the best cultivar to be or variety to be planted in that particular location for that particular crop. This way, growers can start doing uh, the right thing from the beginning, which is first step of an IPM program or first step of any uh, farm or operation is identify their variety for being planted. Uh, the second front of our program is related more with irrigation and fertilization. Remember that I like to put them together because irrigation management and fertilizer management, they are connected in a way that you changing one will affect the other. So we are testing like different uh, irrigation scheduling uh, strategy for growers, like the use of soil moisture sensors or the use of uh, the crop evapotranspiration method to determine irrigation scheduling. And I can tell you like some of preliminary results um, from this year using soil moisture sensor, we saved uh, 52% in water in to for tomato production awesome. when we compare with a grower standard practice that is applying the same volume every day. That was fantastic. We are releasing some extension pubs on our results. We invited growers to come to the to our field on our field day uh, earlier this year in May 10. Yeah. Uh, they could see with their own eyes the results of our our research. And that's that's not all. Like actually, it go beyond. We could increase yield. Our yields increased using soil moisture sensors because we were providing the right amount of water. And as I was talking early, fertilizer water are walking together. So when we increase the when we imp in, uh, improve our irrigation uh, scheduling, nutrients were being better uptaken, better utilized by the growers. So they save it with fertilization as well. So it's a win-win situation. You save water, you increase your fertilizer management, or you properly apply fertilizer, and you increase your yield. So it's very, um, it's a very well um, management of your your operation when you do a proper irrigation scheduling. And then the third uh, part of our of our program there is uh, managing a little bit uh, is working in collaboration with plant pathologists and entomologists on pre on disease and insects. Uh, one particular case that we are focused is white fly for our mm -hmm. southeast portion of the state. Um, I don't know if you heard, but uh, after the rains sees in uh, two weeks ago or a week ago, like the white fly population boom it exploded. Oh my goodness, it's exploded in the southeast. Like we were counting about thirty, twenty to thirty white flies per tomato leaf. Good. Oh wow. So that's another part. We are trying to investigate different uh, crop management practices for mostly cucurbits and tomatoes so we can like minimize the damage that whitefly is causing for uh, those crops in the southeast Alabama and help the growers to continue their uh, fall vegetable crop. Let's take a break from this great conversation to talk about our sponsor, Alabama Ag Credit. With the current uneasiness in our economy, it's more important than ever that we have a relationship with those we depend on to help us expand our operation. Alabama Ag Credit was built on relationships. For over a hundred years, Alabama Ag Credit has been in the business of relationships with farmers and landowners. They understand that farming is not just a job, it's a way of life, and they want to help make that way of life as productive and fulfilling as possible. If you need help expanding your operation or building a new home, give them a call or check them out online at alabamaagcredit.com. 
Some don't get it, but at Alabama Ag Credit, they do. Alabama Ag Credit is an equal housing lender. And now back to our conversation. So I want to follow up on a few of those things. One, going back to your soil sensor technology. So obviously, it sounds like from your research, the investment that growers may put into that that technology, they could get back pretty quickly with the savings on water and utilization on fertilizer. Is that what you're saying? Yes, exactly. the soil moisture, the use of soil moisture sensor is the top-notch uh, technology or strategy we used to say strategy for irrigation scheduling. Um, yeah, sometimes the cost, the investment or the cost, the up, the upfront cost of a grower, it can looks um, high. Yeah. But the return, it's also high. Let's yeah. say this way, like, but soil moisture sensors they don't need to be that expensive. We have soil moisture sensors as cheaper as like thirty to $50. Those oh, wow. are called tensiometers. Okay. They don't measure the directly soil moisture, the uh, soil moisture. They measure the indirectly soil moisture, actually is a tension from the soil. That is the strength or the force that the roots of a plant will take, will make to uptake water. But also it can be as cost as $2,000. Sure. Those sensors, they measure the direct soil moisture of the, of the soil. They send you a sign from your cell phone and then you can, from your cell phone, turn your irrigation system on. That sounds like fun to me. I think I'd want that one. I, I learned about tensiometers when I was in school. The uh, the uh, the new technology co- has come out since then, um, and it, it's always fun to see that stuff. But it's good to know that the research is being done that can quantify that you know you can get that money back. The return is worth the investment. So we're we're looking forward to seeing more on that, seeing these extension publications, and also some of your future presentations um, on the subject. Going back to your to the comments about whitefly and just working with pathology, just on that specific issue, because I do know that's a big issue uh, for our growers in the state, but also in South Georgia and North Florida um, through the vegetable production areas. What are, what are you seeing as as maybe some some opportunities and some some good things in that area? Are, are we having varieties that are becoming more resistant? Do we have insecticides that are working well? Or are we really just in a bad problem right now where we're trying to find the the solutions? So um, it's a very good question because currently I would say it is a challenge because growers they can reduce the number of white fly they cannot completely get rid of white flies. Sure. Uh, so the, uh, basically white flies, they migrated from South Florida to North Florida, then they come to Georgia and Alabama during the, win- during the summer. As we get warmer temperatures, the white fly will come in our, our fields. Uh, it's the, the problem gets worse by mid of September. Yeah. When, uh, for your co- fall crop. For the fall crop. Yeah. When cotton growers start to defoliate yeah. it. And cotton is a big host of whitefly. And then when it started defoliation, they start to migrate it from cotton yep. to vegetables. And that's right when we have our tomato crops, sure. our yellow squash, our cucum- cucur- uh, cucumbers, our uh, solanaceous and cucurbits crops. Sure. So whiteflies are a problem in those crops. Currently, we do have some spring programs uh, that can um, minimize the damage from the whitefly, both adults and nymphs. But as growers use those spray programs, whitefly can create resistance. Sure. And that's when we have problems. So we try to identify some alternative crop management, like use of low tunus. 
So we installed the low tuners. A uh, good example is on uh, low tuners in a uh, yellow squash and zucchini production. You can install a low tuner in those crops when you do your transplant, and then you should remove it by three weeks. Uh, after transplanting, when plants start flowering, so you allow pollination. White flower will damage those plants in early season, but not much in late season. So that's a good strategy. Uh, let me let me stop you on that just real quick. On the low tunnel, are you covering that tunnel with uh, like a plastic, or is it like an insect? It's cloth? an insect cloth. Okay. It's like a mesh, the same mesh that uh, strawberry growers use it for frost, okay. frost protection. Yeah. yeah, for frost protection, you can add that. For the for the low tuners, okay. it will um, it will definitely we saw like a hundred percent control, so no white flies inside those tuners when we use it, and so you could allow your plants during the vegetative stage to grow, start flowering, and then you remove the the cloth. That was an alternative. Yes, it does increase labor, but at the same time, it does reduce uh, spraying programs because you don't have to spray on sure. those programs. Yep. So that's one thing. Regarding uh, cultivar for planting, as I said, it's a problem for solanaceae like tomatoes. Uh, white flies are a problem for tomatoes and um, yellow squash and zucchini. As far as tomatoes, the ba- the largest problem is the, is the tomato yellow leaf curl. Yep. So there are varieties resistance for tomato yellow leaf curl. So if you are a grower and listen here, <laughs> please use uh, resistant varieties to tomato uh, yellow leaf curl. But as far as yellow squash and zucchini, uh, it's the crumple virus that it's a problem. This crumple virus is transmitted by white flies, and we don't have any variety no resistance. resistance. And that's that's the challenge. Yeah. So we need to work with the growers on the alternative, and that's where come the local low to no uh, strategy. And that's the same for cucumbers. We have a problem on cucumbers. We are trying to help our cucumber growers with more variety trials, uh, but not so far. One interesting thing that we are doing um, that it will call your attention a little bit, it's on tomatoes as well. Tomatoes, their leaves have uh, some small structure called trichomes. Those trichomes, they produce acyl sugars that are repellent from, they they repel whitefly. So what we are investigating in our part of the research, not as much as the extension, but research, is how can we get those acyl sugars to use against the whitefly. So we are planting a wide variety of tomatoes from wide material from the USDA and try to identify those uh, materials who produce the most so we can extract that and use it. So that's something that we are doing the preliminary research so we can do the applied research later. Absolutely. Well, all of that sounds really exciting, and I can tell you're passionate about it. You have a lot to say about it, and that's good. And we can't wait to hear more about it. Um, And one place we're going to be able to do that is at our AFVGA annual conference, which uh, me and you have had a lot of discussion about, and we're trying to really uh, get that conference to become the premier specialty crop conference in Alabama and uh, across several states. Um, so, obviously, we're having that conference February 9 and 10 in 2023 in Gulf Shores, and you guys are going to be joining us, your team. Uh, I have have several sessions that you'll be speaking at. One is soil sensor technology for vegetable production. So, uh, you heard a little bit about that today, and you can hear more about, about that at our conference. Another one is pumpkin varieties for Alabama. Um, this is important because we have a lot of agritourism operations in the state and uh, they need to be using the very, very best materials because pumpkins is not an easy crop to grow 
in the state. So I know you're doing trials throughout the state to see what works best for our growers uh, regarding pumpkins. Oh, yeah, we are doing it's good that you mentioned this topic because we are doing like we have three trials today in Chilton that we're going to start harvesting in about two weeks. Uh, we have two trials in uh, Center, uh, Alabama at the E.V. Smith uh, Research and Extension Center. And we have one trial in Southeast Alabama that we also going to be harvested. So we want to cover the entire state to sure. give a good recommendation on what for a pumpkin variety to grow. By the end, everybody want a pumpkin for Halloween. Yes, right. Yeah, they want it. <laughs> Pumpkins are tough to grow, and then they get a beating on our front porch sitting in the 85-degree heat in October, but uh, but everyone wants one, so we got to make sure we provide that for the people of Alabama. Yeah. Another, uh, you're going to be doing organic transition for Alabama vegetable production, and then something I'm really excited about that your team is hosting um, uh, at AFVGA is the the new workshop that we're launching, the Alabama Variety Trial Showcase. Um, I know you're going to be presenting a lot there, a lot of these uh, variety trial data that we talked about, and then also other um, Auburn faculty members will be presenting, and that would just be uh, variety trial after variety trial for vegetables and fruit. So so we're looking forward to all of those things um, at the, the conference and looking forward to y'all joining us there again. Um, and it's going to be a great time where, where folks can really hear about these things y'all are working on. Uh, I know the AFVGA board is really excited you are here um, to carry out the extension mission in Alabama. Uh, I know I personally am, am uh, very hopeful for, for what AFVGA and your team and, and the rest of the Department of Horticulture will be able to accomplish in pushing forward the industry. Um, but with all that said, let's let's get a little personal for a minute before we finish up. Uh, I, I just want to know more about you. So so I know you have a boat. Do you still have the boat? <laughs> yeah, I okay. do still have the boat. Okay, so you take that out to the lake for fun. Uh, what other activities do you like to participate in when you're not doing vegetable research? Uh, fishing. Okay. So that's the main reason why I have the boat. I love fishing. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> and we should go together one yes, day. absolutely. Um, I like to bike. A lot mountain bike. I do mountain bike on the Chihuahua okay. Park. So yeah. that's some activity that I have doing with my family. My young daughter loves it. So Great. I go there very often with her. And sometimes I play some sports. Um, like a good Brazilian, I like to play soccer. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> but I will tell you, I enjoy uh, football as well. So oh, good. those are the kind of activities that I go, like to do. And barbecue. If you are grilling and you invite me, you can count. I will be there. <laughs> <laughs> so you like to eat. That's good. Uh, yeah, That's of course. good. Hey, well, we really appreciate you coming on the Alabama AgCast. Uh, we appreciate the work you're doing for Alabama farmers. I'm excited to continue to work with you. I know our AFBGA board is excited to work with you and, and to really just grow this industry. There's a lot of opportunity here. So, uh, so we're excited to get after it. But uh, thank you so much again for joining us. I appreciate it, uh, Blake. Thank you very much for having me here. I'm excited with uh, our conference, and I'm here to help all growers in the state. And now, your weekly Ag Cash wrap-up. Today I'm going to talk about the dairy industry and uh, some of the rumors they have heard about the Borden closure in Dothan, Alabama, as well as Hattiesburg, Mississippi. So over the past weeks, the Dairy Alliance has worked uh, real hard, and uh, I've followed up with them on multiple occasions and, and had phone calls to discuss the things that's going on. But ultimately what, what the fallout has uh, happened uh, from the Borden closure is uh, diversified foods, 
uh, is going to start supplying the schools with um, with milk. Uh, and it's not your traditional milk that you may may think about. They are going to be establishing a uh, shelf-stable milk for the school systems that are not able to get the federally approved milk for the schools. So it's not an ideal situation, but it will continue to allow milk to be supplied to our school systems. And for those of you who don't know a whole lot about the shelf-stable milk, it is milk just like any other milk, except of, of the way it is processed and the way that it's packaged. So traditional milk is pasteurized at about 161 degrees Fahrenheit for about 15 seconds, and then it's rapidly cooled down. Whereas a shelf-stable milk, in order for it to have a longer shelf life, it is heated at a ultra-high temperature at about 285 degrees for about three or four seconds. And so uh, this allows for more of the bacteria to be killed, which will allow it to ultimately uh, last up to 12 months. And so with this development and with the Borden facility closing, which is uh, terrible for the state of Alabama, and we, we just hate to lose any infrastructure that we do have uh, with the 16 dairies that we do have. Uh, however, we hope that this is a short-term fix with the shelf-stable milk and that once the facility closes at the end of September, this month, September 30th, uh, that hopefully another investor will come in and, and continue to take over the boarding facility where it left off and uh, get fresh milk back into schools. And so we've got some work to do. Uh, like I say, not an ideal situation, but still pushing at the federal level to get whole milk back into schools. And uh, that'll be a great day. But just wanted to fill everybody in on what's going on in the dairy industry in Alabama. Alabama AgCast is sponsored by our friends at Alabama AgCredit. Give them a call for all your farm and land financing needs. For more information about today's conversation, check out the show notes or visit alphafarmers.org slash agcast. Be sure to follow Alabama Farmers Federation on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Tune in next week for another timely conversation from Alabama AgCast.